0: Snap Production
1: In today's briefing, we go in-depth on the big news from Hillsong this week that its founder and global leader Brian Houston is stepping down to fight charges that he concealed his father's alleged sexual abuse. Brian Houston has been charged following an investigation into the alleged cover-up of child sex offences.
0: Brian Houston is stepping into the shadows.
1: We've talked about the effects of the situation with my father going back many years up to the current legal case and the impact this has had on me emotionally. Now, we're gonna discuss what that means for Hillsong and its expansion in the US, Plus, you'll find out about another movement in Pentecostal America, the Seven Mountain Mandate, which wants to dominate society.
2: Saying that Christians deserve to rule the US, that they have biblical authority to do it, and that they should take things back in any way possible.
1: That interview with El Hardy, who's travelled the world studying Pentecostalism in just a moment. First, today's headlines with Jan Fran. It is Friday, February the 4th.
0: Well, the leader of ISIS has died in a U.S. Special Forces raid overnight.
2: United States military forces successfully moved a major terrorist threat to the world. The global leader of ISIS, known as Haji Abdullah.
1: That's the U.S. President Joe Biden. Haji Abdullah had been a leader of the group since 2019, uh, which is when the U.S. killed the former ISIS leader, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, in a very similar raid.
0: Yeah, he died in the same way that al-Baghdadi did, actually, by exploding a bomb that killed himself and members of his family. This included women and children. He exploded the bomb as US forces approached the building that he was in in northwest Syria.
1: He took out 13 people with him, including six children and four women, uh, but there were no US casualties.
0: A slight update on the Novak Djokovic saga. The world number one tennis player has said that he will give his side of the story on what happened in Australia... Uh, This was during a press conference that he did with the Serbian president. Having in mind that I have not spoken publicly regarding the events in Australia, and this is the first time that I speak publicly, I ask you for patience because in the next seven to ten days, I will address the media with more details with my, so to say, version of the story and everything that happened in Australia.
1: Novak Djokovic, and that's a translation from the ABC. I think we know what happened. He was treated like absolute rubbish and used as a political pawn Anyway, good for Nadal. Um, You are so
0: fired up about the. I don't think I've seen you fired up about a case so far this year. Djokovic has done this for you. Let's hear what he has to say when he finally opens up. If we're not
1: going to let him in because of his vaccination status, do it when he applies for the visa, not when he gets here and treating one of the best athletes in in history
0: like rubbish. Yes, there was an 11-day saga which included two visa cancellations, according to Tom, at completely inappropriate times. He did also spend five nights in an immigration detention hotel.
1: Yeah, and there's been a bit of news about his uh, COVID test. There were sort of questions raised uh, whether that test was positive before he got here was fake, and Serbian authorities have rejected that.
0: Yeah. Staying with sporting news of sorts, um, the International Olympic Committee President Thomas Bach has confirmed that he is going to meet with Chinese tennis player Peng Shui uh, as he attends the Beijing Winter Games. This will happen. And then in all these conversations, it is also, I think, uh, a sign of, not only a sign of uh, respect, it's it's a necessity then to to respect her and then to listen to her.
1: So clearly there's still some question marks over the well-being of Peng Shui. Um, her brief public appearances in the last few months haven't done enough to assure um, tennis officials or human rights activists that she is actually... Okay, but this might change if Thomas Bart can meet her at the Winter Olympics in Beijing, which have already kicked off. Jan, I know you, you took a while to warm up to the Tokyo Games, the Summer Summer Olympics. Mm. How are you feeling about the Winter Games?
0: There's not as much hype about the Winter Games as there is about the Summer Games, and I think when the Summer Games were happening, Japan was, you know, there's a lot of kind of COVID cases and people were sort of worried, like, what's it going to do to Japanese society? Well, start
1: of the Delta wave.
0: Yeah, it's the start of the Delta wave, Exactly. Oh, dare I admit, I'm probably not as excited or as fraught about the Winter Games as I was about the Summer Games in Japan. I
1: think it's funny for us Australians, we're more of a Summer Games kind of nation. Mm. We don't have that much snow.
0: Although, we did have an Australian curling team Mm. in the Winter Games for the first time ever.
1: Detecting a little bit of froth there?
0: Well, sadly they were knocked out yesterday, but you know what, I'm happy that... I just couldn't believe that we even had a curling... Like, we don't even have a curling ice rink in Australia. Well,
1: Jamaica can have a bobsled team. (laughs) We can have a curling team. Yeah.
0: For those of you who don't know what um, curling is, I do not blame you. Quick Google. You might still not know what curling is after Googling it, but give it a go. And the Chief Medical Officer has announced a new task force that is going to look into how many people in aged care have died without a booster shot.
1: We are looking to try to get more details about those, those deaths. Yes, yeah, so that's Paul Kelly, who's the Chief Medical Officer. Basically, it's been really hard to get accurate data about exactly what's going on in nursing homes, but we do know that around 500 people have died in nursing homes in January alone, which is more than last year in total. Despite that, Richard Colbeck, the Aged Care Services Minister, reckons the sector's not in crisis. No, I don't accept that it's in complete crisis.
0: Yeah, that was the uh, the commentary that has really got his critics riled up, including the opposition leader, Anthony Albanese, uh, who called for Colbeck's resignation. If Richard Colbeck does not resign today, the Prime Minister should sack him. He is simply incapable of fulfilling the task of looking after the interests of old, vulnerable Australians. Of course, Colbeck has been um, under... Some serious criticism, and we reported this this week, for going to the cricket instead of fronting a Senate committee about um, the aged care situation during the COVID crisis. And more than 100 truck drivers have been recruited in Western Australia because the east-west train line is cut off due to flooding. It is clear we won't be able to bring in as much product as we have in the past, and that's why there are restrictions, because we really need to make sure people can just buy what they need.
1: That's Western Australian Transport Minister Rita Safiotti there. Last month, massive rains and flooding damaged large sections of the Trans-Australian Railway, which uh, links the eastern states with WA. Now, normally these triple road trains and these massive trucks aren't allowed to transport freight between SA and WA for safety reasons, but they've been given the green light because they're so desperate to get produce through.
0: Yeah, asking for military assistance uh, hasn't been ruled out as well uh, because it could take two months for supplies to return to normal, although it is expected that the railway um, is meant to be functioning again from, I guess, mid-February, February 17. That's fingers crossed. Coles and Woolworths have both imposed buying limits on a bunch of products, including flour, sugar, rice, pasta. So if you're in WA and you're having problems getting some goods, that's why.
1: And a Brisbane Christian college has backflipped on its policy that required parents to sign a contract that said their children could be expelled based on their sexual orientation or gender identity.
0: Yeah, so the school, City Point Christian College, says that it, quote unquote, deeply regrets that the contracts made students feel discriminated against. Uh, But the principal of the school says that the school has a right to maintain its ethos and the freedom to continue to provide an education based on shared belief.
1: Yeah, so the furor over the City Point Christian College um, has actually led the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, to recommit to changing laws that allow religious schools to expel gay or transgender students. No, I don't support that. I mm. mean, um, my kids go to a Christian school here in Sydney, and I wouldn't want my school doing that either.
0: Yeah, this comes as Federal Parliament considers the Prime Minister's religious discrimination bill. Um, he's got a, a bunch of members of his party, I suppose you'd call them moderates, who are still sort of holding out on on really throwing their support behind that bill because they say that they it does discriminate to some extent against the LGBTQI community.
1: Yeah, so this has caused a lot of trouble for Scott Morrison. He promised this religious discrimination bill in 2018 and that was in the wake of the same-sex marriage plebiscite, which caused a lot of consternation in the religious community. They felt like they were being pushed out of the debate. So to appease them in the lead up to the 2019 election, Scott Morrison promised this religious discrimination bill, but it's caused him nothing but headaches.
0: Yeah. He hasn't really gotten too far with it. He can't really get the full support of members of his own party as well. There's a little bit of friction going on there too.
1: Yeah. Well, he hasn't just frustrated the moderates, which you mentioned before. Even a lot of his Christian supporters don't like it either. So it hasn't been an easy one for him. Jan, we'll catch you next week. Uh, coming up, I've got a very interesting interview for you on Hillsong and the Seven Mountain Mandate. Hillsong has been an amazing Australian success story, starting in the 80s in the Hills District in Sydney by a couple, Brian and Bobby Houston. Their church now is in 30 countries with over 150,000 members. But since the Royal Commission into Sexual Abuse... A storm cloud has been building around Brian Houston. His late father, Frank Houston, was alleged to have sexually abused several young boys. Now, he died in 2004 and was never charged. But last year, Brian Houston was charged with concealing allegations of his father's abuse. Now, he's vigorously denied the charges and pled not guilty. On Sunday, Brian Houston put out a statement saying that he would step down from his leadership role at Hillsong while he fights to clear his name in court. And he said that will tank all year. So in this ep, what does this mean for Hillsong and its global expansion? And thanks to the wild journey our guest has been on, we'll find out about this seven mountain mandate. It's a Pentecostal plan to dominate society. El Hardy has just released a book called Beyond Belief, how Pentecostal Christianity is tanking over the world. And to write this book, she's travelled to 12 countries, including Nigeria, Brazil, Guatemala, to give a fascinating portrait of this growing global movement. Elle, thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. Let's go first to the news about Hillsong. How big a blow is this to the movement to have its founder, Brian Houston, stepping down to fight these charges?
2: overwhelmingly I'd say most people are a part of Hillsong for the music and for the particular style and for the the uplift and for, you know, you're going to church and you're dancing around. It's mm-hmm. young people, it's millennials at absolute most, it's, it's a lot of Zoomers, it's very multicultural. So it's about being around people who look and sound and feel like you and want to be uplifted at church. So Brian Houston's issues and the fact that he's stepping down, I'm just not sure that that will affect so many people who are really there for different reasons and mightn't feel that they have that personal relationship with him.
1: So a lot of Brian Houston's focus on Hillsong in general has been growing it globally, particularly in the, the US, which is the home of Pentecostalism. How successful have they been in bringing this Australian brand of Pentecostalism to America?
2: It might surprise a lot of people, but one of the things that has made Hillsong popular in a place like America is that it has quite a light theological touch compared to most American Pentecostal churches compared to, to most Pentecostal churches around the world. You know, it's it was originally came out of America, but it's biggest in places like Nigeria and Brazil and and Korea. So it does have a much lighter sense. Carl uh, Lentz, the the pastor who fell from grace in the US um recently, most famous as Justin Bieber's pastor, he went on, I think it was the View and and refused to condemn abortion. Mm. That's huge, you know, for for an evangelical in America. So so it really shows that. It's giving people, a lot of people who might have grown up in very sort of hellfire and brimstone type of churches, it says, you know, you can still believe in God, but you can feel good. We'll still give you all that stuff. It's, it's there if you want to be a real biblical fundamentalist, but this is much more about you. It's about feeling good. It's about connecting to the music. It's about being a Christian, but being able to live in a secular world.
1: So that's a real point of difference for the Australian brand of third wave Pentecostalism.
2: Yeah, Australians have been very good at exporting that, particularly to the US, but around the world. There's another Hillsong-like uh, church called C3 mm. that, that's really huge. And you know, they've got branches in Brooklyn and Silicon Valley, and and it's a similar thing. I think it's I think it's really speaking to Americans who mightn't want that, especially politically charged, that that very uh, right wing, narrow evangelical view of the world. Uh, but but they can still practice their faith in a way that feels good and, and familiar to them.
1: So your book goes way beyond Hillsong. You you go into all corners of the world and the Pentecostal movement. You speak to gypsy street preachers in the UK, faith healers in Johannesburg, snakebite healers in in wild parts of America, Pentecostals in Guatemala. And one of the most fascinating themes that you keep coming back to throughout your book is that this latest wave of Pentecostalism is actually focused on changing the world we live in now, rather than just getting people ready for the next world, which is a stark difference to the kind of Pentecostalism I grew up in. So for some people in the movement, I think that's just a very vague idea. But for some parts, as you point out, there's a very explicit mission called the Seven Mountain Mandate. Tell us about that.
2: Sure. So, so one of the real hallmarks of this latest wave of Pentecostalism that is huge in the world, you know, there'll be one in 10 people in the world will be Pentecostal by 2050. That, that's a billion people. And there's about 600 million followers worldwide now. And it's about saying that there are seven mountains or, you know, pillars of society. So it's government, business, entertainment, those sorts of things. Education is is probably the really big one. And it says that, you know, these have been conquered by demons and believers have to overtake them and conquer them to bring, you know, eventually the end days, but just to live their lives in this, you know, secular world that a lot of these people in America don't necessarily believe in. This isn't to say that's something that Hillsong's into, um, as far as I'm aware, and it's just not something that probably would translate to Australia. But in the US, it's becoming very powerful, and it's sort of the the theological wing of of Trump and his MAGA movement, because they know that they've lost the democratic battle. GOP can't really win apart from gerrymandering and and all sorts of things like the electoral college, and they know that they've lost the the demographic battle as well. That you know more and more people are, are voting for for the Democrats. So this is saying, basically, screw all of that. We've got a biblical mandate and we're going to do it.
1: How many Pentecostals in America are sort of behind, you know, the Seven Mountain Mandate? Is it just a fringe thing? And how much power does it have? How many sort of adherents are in positions of power, either culturally or politically in America?
2: It's really difficult to say. There are definitely some people uh, within the Republican Party structure. The the former, I think it was, Vice President of of the Texas GOP, uh, David Barton, is one of the big promoters of it. It's difficult to say exactly who's preaching it, but it's quite a big thing online. The pandemic really pushed a lot of people onto Facebook and they were getting their, you know, a lot of spiritual nourishment late at night, maybe, you know, when you're not having your family to bounce ideas off and things like that. So a lot of people you can really see going down rabbit holes into this kind of stuff. There's some pretty fiery Facebook preachers that are really promoting it. A very big church in America, Bethel, which is very similar to Hillsong, just more American and, and a bit more hardcore. Their leader, Bill Johnson, was one of the guys who really began promoting it. How much is in the churches, it's really hard to say, but it's certainly very online. Their preacher mightn't be preaching it, but they're getting it from a guy that they follow on Facebook. And it's certainly fortifying and encouraging some people on in the Republican Party and the right of American politics to to really go down a route of Christian dominionism. And I think that's the troubling thing. You know, We saw some people that um, stormed the Capitol on January 6th that were directly inspired by this and directly inspired by the people who were promoting it. So it's certainly in there and some powerful people with some not great ideas are certainly using it for their own ends.
1: So what are their ideas? What are they trying to achieve?
2: Basically, uh, Christian dominionism. So saying that Christians deserve to rule the US, that they have biblical authority to do it and that they should take things back in any way possible. So why I said that education's the really big one, it's... Republican Party has long been very good at, at going for things on a local level. Democrats, they all tend to want to be Obama and give the big speech. Republicans tend to be the kind of people who go into their local school board and take it over. So you're seeing a lot of banning of books and controversies about critical race theory and things like that now. So they're really getting into that sort of end of things and really trying to push it from from schools up. And even things like the guy who founded it, Lance now said there's no uh, secular employment for the believer. So it's saying you know get into your workplace, just do everything in your power as an individual. That's obviously an interesting strategy, you know, it's just getting everyone as you know to to be a lone wolf soldier.
1: So do you think some of the decisions by Donald Trump were trying to court the votes of these kind of people?
2: Oh, absolutely. Pentecostals uh, were his first believers, much more so than than, say you have Southern Baptists or things like that. They really got behind him straight away because the the style of the populist, Uh, politician really blends with that of the the charismatic Pentecostal preacher. It's very about what you feel. It's very emotive. There's a disdain for experts. Mm. And there's a real feeling that the believer is sort of being besieged by the secular world around them. So that's why we're seeing over and over again, these populist politicians having Pentecostals behind them. So Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil, Duterte in the Philippines, even Viktor Orban in Hungary. Pentecostals tend to recognize a similar kind of guy to them and get behind them very quickly.
1: Yeah, it's so weird in the case of Donald Trump, though, because of his immoral behavior, which goes against the sort of actual core values of of these people who are ultimately, in a cultural sense, very conservative, which he's not, but he can still speak to them somehow, which is absolutely mind-blowing.
2: Yeah. He's not constrained by their morality. He can do their bidding, but he doesn't have to pretend to you know, be a good family man or anything like that. And that, that is certainly part of the appeal. They, they're they very politically pragmatic.
1: So is it fair to compare this 7M or the Seven Mountain mandate movement with QAnon? There does seem to be parallels, but I'm also conscious that QAnon is, is so extreme that that may be unfair in their eyes, that comparison.
2: Yeah, look, there, there's certainly some crossover, or, or at least in that it's being called conspirituality. Um, So so people tend to come into uh, these things in all sorts of, you know, from all sorts of different things. It's whatever piques your interest might get you into it. So it might be that there's a cabal of pedophiles secretly controlling the world, or it might be that we need to take America back for God. That's why the January 6th storming of the Capitol was so interesting because you saw a lot of these... What, what this coalition actually is. You know, you, you saw the guy in the Viking horns and and you see Instagram stars and then you see, you know, real true believers whose pastor had kind of worked them into a frenzy and they they went back in with their Bible to take America back for God.
1: Yeah, I think the lengths they're going to might be different or the extremes in the various positions, but the structure of the ideas seems to have a lot of similarities. There's a, a small L liberal agenda which is sort of taking over the world, you know, supporting gay marriage or it might be around abortion and they see that as something they want to fight back against and that it's a a kind of left wing or liberal conspiracy against their values that's dragging the world down and they're banding together to fight back against that.
2: There's so many structural issues and, and things like that in the world that are, you know, people are starting to find that things are really unfair and things suck, right? You know, there's really growing inequality. There's, you know, state services are being cut everywhere, you know, in the US and and in in a lot of the, the global South. The pandemic just made everyone's life miserable. And people are sort of looking to things to, to cling to, I think, in terms of beliefs and also what they can do about it, what they can personally do to feel powerful, and for a lot of people who, who might believe in God or who might be quite spiritual to begin with, this is quite an easy thing to get into and to feel inspired. And and like I said, yeah, that there's some really amazing, charismatic preachers on on Facebook and places like that who are also quite dangerous. But, you know, they're doing lightly, nightly live streams throughout the pandemic and really firing people up and, and telling them that this is the root of the problem and that it's very black and white. It's good versus evil and those sorts of things. So So certainly... The last couple of years, I think, has accelerated a lot of this drift into a very hostile, conspiritual worldview that's sadly sending a lot of people down a pretty bad path.
1: You know, for people listening who might be really concerned about uh, what you described as the Seven Mountain Mandate in America and that push to influence society, you don't see that happening here.
2: I just don't think the incentives uh, or the culture is as strong. I don't think that Australians are, are going to buy into it. At most, 2% of Australians are Pentecostal. The numbers of evangelical in America is much, much higher. Uh, So, so yeah, I just don't think there's the incentives or the culture here. But uh, I don't know. It could be proven wrong, I guess.
1: That was Elle Hardy. And if you want to get her book, it's called Beyond Belief, How Pentecostal Christianity is Taking Over the World. And it came out this week. All right, tomorrow in your weekend briefing, uh, I'm actually going to make a, a cameo as the host. And I'm going to sit down with a man you've seen a lot of over the last two years talking about covid Dr Norman Swan. You'll learn who the the man behind the glasses and all the facts around COVID really is.
2: Listener.